0: It is a good morning, and we are welcome in this place. Please stand and join me in the call to worship, which we'll read responsively. Mighty God, we do not yet see the glory you plan for all humankind, but in faith, we do see Jesus. We praise you that he freed us from our sin, that he comforts and strengthens us through our struggles, and that he gives us courage to follow him.
1: invite you to take a moment share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today Just a few announcements in the bulletin to bring to your attention. Um, There are no activities tonight or uh, throughout this week. They will resume uh, the week following. Uh, Next Sunday morning, again, we will gather for one worship service at 10 o'clock. And then as you see in the schedule, uh, beginning on the 19th, we'll move back to our uh, regular schedule of three worship services on Sunday morning. Uh, There are uh, a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. Uh, I do want to uh, remember to pray for... Uh, those who are grieving for uh, Ruth Tucker's family at, after her funeral yesterday. And also uh, at the death of Steve Castor this week. He uh, had a procedure Monday morning and uh, didn't come out of that and uh, died Thursday evening. So uh, there are no arrangements yet uh, for services for Steve. Uh, that we will announce those as we have them. But I know that Carol and the family would certainly appreciate our prayers at this time. As well as praying for other needs of uh, this area as well as our world as we ask for God's grace in powerful ways. The Old Testament
0: reading is from Genesis chapter 12, the first nine verses. Hear the word of the Lord The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. The Canaanites were then in the land, But the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Continue in worship together.
3: So Right. right.
2: ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. before you today, acknowledging all that you have done for us. We praise you, Father, and we ask that you would give us grateful hearts as we give back but a portion of all that you have lavished upon us. Amen. You may be seated. Every evening sky, an invitation to trace the patterned stars. And early in July, a celebration for freedom that is ours. And I notice you in children's games, in those who watch them from the shade. Every drop of sun is full of fun and wonder. You are summer. And even when the trees have just surrendered, to the harvest time Forfeiting their leaves in late September And sending us inside Still I notice you when change begins And I am braced for colder winds I will offer thanks for what. And what's to come? Everything in time and under heaven finally falls asleep. Wrapped in blankets white, all creation shivers underneath, and still I notice you when branches crack, and in my breath on frosted glass. Even now in death you open doors for life to enter, you are winter, and everything that's new has bravely surfaced, teaching us to breathe, and what was frozen through is newly purposed, turning all things green. So it is with you, and how you make me new, with every season's change, and so it will be as you are re-
1: God, who creates all the seasons and works in our lives, invites us to come to him in prayer. As we spend time praying together, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you come and offer your prayers, please join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many and amazing blessings. We thank you for all the ways in which you have worked in our lives in this past year. In the difficult times you have been with us, in the joyous times you have been the reason you've been our strength our help our rock our redeemer our fortress and we come with grateful hearts today father as we enter this new year we are excited about the possibilities before us and we recognize our need for you in each and every moment We ask that you will give us grace to seek you and to follow you. Father, we pray for many among us who are suffering from the frailties, the infirmities, the the difficulties of this world. We pray that you will heal all who are struggling with illness and pain. We pray for all who are grieving a recent death. We ask that you will comfort each one with your presence and we pray that you will help us to be channels of love and support to one another through your grace. Father, we also pray during this particularly cold time, we pray for those who do not have the resources to handle it. We pray for people who have no permanent shelter, for those who have no regular means of food and drink. We pray that you will help your people here and in all places to be mindful and active toward people who are in need, particularly at this time. Father, as we contemplate your church and your people around the world, we pray that 2014 will be a year of miraculous spiritual growth, a year of miraculous power of your spirit evident in your church. We pray that the witness of your people, the witness of love and compassion, of truth and mercy, of humility and service will permeate into every corner of the world and that more and more people will come to know the joy of life with you. Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And the one who gives us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
0: New Testament reading from Ephesians chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power Together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work in us, to Him be glory in the Church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As we stand to sing together, the children may be dismissed for Children's Church.
1: This is a time of year when we uh, make New Year's resolutions. And, um, you know, I don't know how, if you do that, how much that uh, has a bearing on uh, how you live out the rest of the year. But I saw a cartoon not too long ago, a shoe cartoon, and uh, she was sitting in a chair and his nephew says to him, have you made any New Year's resolutions? He said, yeah, I'm going to uh, lose some weight and exercise more, and watch less TV. And his nephew was looking at this paper that had to turn down. He said, is this the same list you had last year? He said, that's the same list I've had since 1979. <laughs> I suspect a lot of our resolutions are like that. You know, we have great plans, great ideas, we, you know, things that we want to do, and often they don't come to fruition. But we are thinking about them right now. We're processing them. We're wondering how 2014 is going to be different than 2013, how we can be better, how, how we can, in a spiritual sense, be closer to God. And what struck me as I was pondering that recently is that maybe we ought to think not just about personal resolutions, but what about corporate resolutions? What about what we are to be as a church in this coming year? And really, as we start thinking about that, we're thinking about the purpose of the church. What are we to be and, and, and what are we to look like? And, and at this time of year where we're just on the brink tomorrow of beginning of, of Epiphany, which is the time when we celebrate how God reveals himself to the world, we are particularly thinking about how do we as the church reveal Christ to the rest of the world? What should that look like? There are lots of things that we could talk about, lots of things we could say in terms of the purpose of the church. But one of the thoughts that has come to my mind as we are on the brink of Epiphany is thinking about the Magi in the middle of the Christmas story. The season of Epiphany typically focuses on the baptism of Jesus and upon the Magi in the middle of the birth story. And the Magi remind us that Christ comes not for a select group of people. Christ comes not for people who fit a certain mold or who are in a certain category. But Christ comes for all people. If if pagan astrologers can be in the middle of the birth story, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, which is intended to be written to Jews... And to prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah, if in the middle of that story, Matthew says, oh, and by the way, some of the heroes of this whole thing are pagan astrologers. It ought to send a message to us. That the gospel is for the whole world. It is for all people. And that didn't start with the Magi. This is something God has been talking about from the beginning. We read in Genesis 12 God's call to Abraham, and in the middle of that call, he says, You will be a blessing to all nations, to the whole world, everyone. In Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, the, the prophet tells talks of the Messiah and says, He will be a light to all the nations. He will be a light to the Gentiles. He will be a light to the people that we tend to avoid. And tend to think maybe they aren't really worthy of what Christ comes to bring. And in Ephesians 3, Paul talks about how the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles. It's for all people. And it's easy for us to get wrapped up in a mindset that the gospel's for the people we like. The gospel is for the people who we think fit the mold, the categories that we have created. The gospel is for a select group of people who we think fit. And God keeps wanting to blow that image apart. But what we have to understand is that the most powerful means of, of God sharing the gospel with the world... Is through the church. The church is the most powerful witness to the world. Now, as important as we, as human beings, individual people, are, it is the collectiveness of God's people that presents the greatest witness. In Ephesians three ten, Paul talks to talks about. He says. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God be made known to the rulers and authorities to the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't understand all that he means by the fact that he says the church is going to help the heavenly beings understand the purpose of God. But at the very least, if the church helps the heavenly beings understand the purpose of God, then surely the church is the primary means to helping the world understand the purposes of God. And sometimes we forget that. We see our witness as primarily it's about me. And it certainly is about us as individuals. But Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples if you love each other. It is the witness of the church. When we lived in Wisconsin, one of the one of the uh, members of our church was a county agent. He worked for the Department of Agriculture, and uh, we he, he would tell me often that one of the one of the things that he would do was to um, to try to convince farmers about new techniques, about new ways, uh, new seeds, new new way planting techniques, new fertilizers, you know, different ways of, of creating better crops. And most of the time. They had a hard time believing him that his new plan was going to be better than what they'd been doing for quite some time. And so they they figured out that the best way to, to help farmers see it was to show them. And so they would set up demonstration plots, much like the picture you see here. We've often seen them along the side of the road. They're not always from the Department of Agriculture, but they're demonstration plots. And they would set them up, usually on highways that farmers could see them, And they would display this new technique or these new seeds or new way, uh, new uh, fertilizer, whatever, new plan. And then when it came time for the harvest, inevitably, the new plan worked better than the old one. The crops looked better. And when it came time next year around for planting season, the farmers wanted all the new stuff. They had to see it. The church is God's demonstration plot to the world. People will want Christ. People will want to know Christ because of what they see in us. We are the ones who reveal to Christ the loving invitation, reveal to the world the loving invitation of God through Christ. It's about you and me. It's about us together. And the primary means by which we display the, the love of God in Christ to the world is through sacrifice it is through being willing to sacrifice of ourselves for the world it's countercultural to us it's counterintuitive to us and yet Paul tells the the Ephesian Christians in the in verse 1 and Verse 13, he says, I am suffering for you. Don't be worried about my suffering. Don't get upset about my suffering. I am doing it because it will reveal God. It will reveal the power of Christ to you and to others. The most profound witness we have is to willingly sacrifice ourselves for others. but it does go against the grain of how we typically think and act and feel we're all about safety we're all about about trying to minimize risks and god keeps calling us to be vulnerable to be humble to take risks just like he does The, in the ancient days, with Paul, Paul being in prison, there was, for many people, a mindset that if Paul was in prison, then that meant that the Roman gods were, were stronger than Paul's God. And the most natural response to that would be to say, well, let's prove to them they're wrong. Come on, let, let's do some great thing for God to crush them to prove that God is stronger than their gods. And yet Paul says, no, it's through suffering. Because that's the way of Christ. When we look at how God works in the world, He tends to do His most profound work through the cloak of vulnerability and weakness and even failure. But it's hard for us to get that because that's not what has been ingrained into our minds. Tim Tennant is the president of Asbury Seminary. And a while back, he wrote in a blog these words Evangelicals have become experts in finding a thousand new ways to ask the same question what's the least one has to do to become a Christian? What, what's the least we have to do to become a Christian? And, and as a church, we are continually asking ourselves how, what's the minimal amount? He says, we have made entrance into the Christian faith painless. And in the process, we've managed to produce as many nominal Christians as Christendom ever did. We have, in effect, been crisscrossing the world, telling people to make God a player, even a major player, in our drama. But the gospel is about dying to self, self, taking up our cross, and being swept up in the great theodrama of God. we're all about minimal risk god is about maximum risk in our purpose statement in the bookmark that we created one of the one of the things that we said that we feel like to be the church god wants us to be we want to to take on christ's suffering as a response to sin and evil in this world because we believe when certainly are not there we got a long ways to go but we believe that that's what the church is to be but it's hard for us i read about a guy who went to a, a benedictine monastery for a weekend retreat and uh, st benedict from the very beginning was uh, emphatic about his his people uh, being immersed in hospitality. He said, won't you treat every guest as if it were Christ Jesus himself? And through the centuries, the, the Benedictine orders ha, have been infamous for their hospitality and it's grown as the centuries have gone along. And so this man came to this ret- weekend retreat and, and uh, after the, the first meal, the first night after he got there, the guest master gathered all the people who were there for the retreat together and he said to them, if you find that you need something, then come to one of the brothers and he will tell you how to get along without it. And he thought, whoa, wait a second. And, and in many ways, that, that is the gospel that we live and that we, that we reveal to people. It's not about how much can I get, it's how much can I give away. How much can I, how vulnerable can I be for the good of other people to reveal who Christ is? Because ultimately, Christ wins the world through a cross. And we are called to take up our cross and follow him. One of the primary ways in which we do that is through prayer. To be able to see our prayers, our intercessory prayer as sacrifice. To pray to, to pray intercessory prayers is to stand in the gap for people. It is to take on upon ourselves willingly the pain and the hurt and the agony that other people are experiencing and to stand in their place for them. And we are you know we are great at, at offering words of praise to God and we're and we're great at, at offering prayers for God to do things in people's lives. We struggle, I think, with that kind of intercessory prayer because it's painful and it's hard. We're trying to avoid pain, and Christ is calling us to be willing to take it on because nothing will reveal the nature, the love, the purposes of God than seeing the church willingly take this upon ourselves for others. But I'm convinced that the only only way we will ever be a church that willingly sacrifices for others, the only way that will happen is when we come to believe that God is enough for us. This last section of Ephesians 3 is one of the most beautiful passages that Paul writes. And he talks about kneeling before the Father. He talks about about coming to the Father and and experiencing the love of Christ just overwhelming him. He says in in verses um, 18 and 19... He said, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He said, I want you to grasp God's love. I want you to know the fullness of all the height and depth and length and breadth of God's love. And it's only when we begin to grasp the fullness of God's love that we can begin to give it away. And when he says, I want you to know this, I want you to grasp it, we tend to think of that as mental knowledge, and that's important. But it's really more experiential, that it gets into our whole being. It's not just something we know about, it is something we experience. I spent you know, first eighteen years of my life at various times reading about mountains. I grew up in southern Indiana when we talk about mountains you know we're talking about hills that you can't see over you know and Southern Indiana is a little more hilly than northern Indiana, but you know there's not a lot there and and you know but i I remember reading and seeing pictures of of great mountains and then at the age of 18, our family moved to Oregon. I will never forget driving down Interstate 86 along the Columbia River, which is one of those beautiful drives you'll ever take in your life. Driving along the Columbia River, coming around a bend, and there was Mount Hood. I mean, I'm telling you this right now, and and i am the hair on the back of my neck is standing up my pulse is beginning to race because that's exactly how i felt in that moment this majestic mountain that i had read about and seen pictures about was right in front of me and it was it was awesome and i made that drive Dozens and dozens of times through the years, and every single time I came around that bend, same thing. The hair on the back of my neck began to stand up, my skin tingled, and my heart rate began to beat faster. And what's interesting is that now, when I look at a picture like that, or I open a book and read about it, same thing happens. I start feeling that same thing again because I've actually seen it. I think there 's something of that of what Paul is wanting us to experience, not just to read about it, not just to think about it, but to truly experience the fullness of the depth and the height and the breadth and the length of god 's love for us, because when we begin to understand how deeply God loves us, we can give it away. we have become absorbed. By God's love. And it changes us. It gives us freedom to be vulnerable. And to take risks. Because it's God's love. Eugene Peterson tells about. Some friends who. About 25 years ago. Adopted a little five year old girl from Haiti. Her family had been. uh, Tragically killed in an automobile accident. And she had. She had absolutely no family left. And, and so they adopted her. On the first night after they brought her home to their home in Arizona, they were sitting, sitting around the table. And they had two teenage sons as well. And they were sitting, the five of them were sitting around the table. And there was a, a platter of pork chops and a big bowl of mashed potatoes. And when the food went around the table the first time, and everyone had had some, the two teenage boys cleared off the platter of Pork chops and finished off the, the bowl of mashed potatoes and all the food was gone. And Fred and, and Carol noticed that Addie, this little girl they just adopted, seemed like something was wrong with her. She got very quiet. And and they guessed that maybe it had something to do with the food. And they were right. So Carol took her by the hand and walked her into the kitchen, opened up the drawer where they kept the bread and showed her three loaves of bread in this drawer. And then they went to the refrigerator and she opened the refrigerator and she showed her a couple of cartons of milk and juice and and jams and jellies and eggs and all kinds of vegetables. And then they went into the pantry and she showed her the cans of Food in the pantry and fresh vegetables they were storing there, and boxes of mixes and food. And then they went to the freezer, and she opened it up and showed her two or three chickens and and some some beef and a couple things of ice cream. And she looked this little girl in the eye and she said, I know it's hard for you to understand, but there's plenty of food, it's not going to run out. And it took her a while to come to realize that because all of her life, once the food was gone, it might be days before she saw any other food. But it took her a while, but eventually she came to the point where she was at peace with that and she didn't see her brothers at the table as rivals anymore. There was enough. I think Paul is trying to help us understand that there is always enough of God's love. And when you know there's enough, you can give it away freely because there's always, always, always enough. And we can give it away to people that we think deserve it. And we can give it away to people that We're not sure if they do deserve it. We can give it away to people who agree with us. We can give it away to people who disagree with us. We can give it away to people who who love us. And we can give it away to people who have hurt us. We can give it away. Individually and corporately. Because there is always, always, always enough. Back in the 1940s, Oswald Goulter was a missionary in North China. He'd been there about 10 years, and his mission board sent him money to buy a ticket home to give him a break for a little while. He got on the ship from North China and landed at a port in India, and he had a, a week or two of layover there before the next ship left to take him back to England. While he was there, he discovered there were some refugees in uh, one of the warehouses on on the docks, and these refugee, refugees were stuck there. For some reason, this this group of people, no one wanted them. They were welcome in very few countries of the world, and so they were stuck in this warehouse, and they had very little, and there was very little for them to do. They were just there. And stumbled upon them one day, and heard of their plight, and he, he began to think and pray about it. And a day or two later, he walked into there, and he said, it was just about Christmas time, and he said, Merry Christmas. What would you like for Christmas? And they said, we don't practice Christmas. We don't believe in Christmas. He said, that's all right. What would you like for Christmas? And they kept saying, we don't want anything. We, you know, we don't do that. And he said, no, that's okay. Finally, in the conversation, they mentioned some wonderful pastries, German pastries that they loved. And Golter scoured the city looking for somebody who made those pastries. And eventually, he found a bakery that did, and he cashed in his ticket home and bought baskets and baskets and baskets of these, ba- of these pastries. And he took them in to their place and said, Merry Christmas. When he got home, he was telling someone that story and a a student said to him, sir, why would you do that? They aren't Christians. They don't even believe in Jesus. And Golter said, I know, but I do. I do. Now we're standing on the brink of these two seasons. Christmas. In which God comes in Christ to bring salvation to the world. An epiphany where we are called as the church to reveal and to communicate the loving invitation of God in Christ. So, to whom might God be calling us to be a demonstration plot? And how might God want us to willingly sacrifice so that they might see? Let's take a moment just of silence to listen to God as he speaks into our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you for coming in Christ and for calling us, giving us the privilege of revealing you to this world. We pray that you will so fill us with your love that we will be captivated by your love that we can freely, even sacrificially Give it away to others that they might see you in us. We pray this through Christ. Amen.